Genesis 4, 1 through 15. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the, of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away today from the ground. And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, like Cain, we came to you when we were proud, hard-hearted, and overly satisfied in ourselves. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, justly and rightfully hell-bound forever. Yet you sent your son, who didn't deserve it, you sent him to die the painful and shameful death on the cross for our sins. And you raised him from the dead. And because you are rich in mercy, you made us alive together with Christ. And we need a soul resurrection this morning. By your grace, please grant us that. Grant us the faith and repentance that we need in Jesus. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And we're continuing from last week, the last two points of the sermon. And what would you have done if you were on the cross being mocked by sinners, mere men? And they're saying stuff like, oh, he talked big. He saved others. He can't save himself. Come down, Jesus, from there. And if he had the power of the universe, what kept him on that cross? Isaiah 53, 10 and 11 in your sheet says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
When his soul makes an offering for guilt, and that's the cross right there being predicted 700 years before Jesus' earthly ministry, he shall see his offspring. Who are his offspring? Look around you. All who name the name of Jesus. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He saw us. That's what kept him on that cross, even though he had the power. I don't know about you. If I had that power, I'd be throwing down. I'm going to get down to business right now. Glad I'm not him. But think about it. Even after the resurrection, whose house would you want to go visit first? I want to go visit that guy that was shouting at me from the cross and go, I'm back and better than ever. What does Jesus do? He goes to probably one of the most humble of his disciples, not even one of his 12, Mary Magdalene. And that's who he talks to first and gives her the honor of announcing to the 12 that had scattered. She, the brave woman, stuck, behind, stuck around to look after his grave. And he tells her in John 20, 18, he sent her, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to be humble like him. How do we get there? We get there by answering this question. Does he deserve to be king or not? In your heart, over everything, over every choice you make, even if he rubs you the wrong way. That's the main idea of this passage. The Lord's faithfulness is to both judge and save sinners, two different groups of people. According to Genesis 3.15, that's what he shows here. We'll get to that in a minute. So the central point is that the Lord will save a people and condemn a people. Those are two separate groups, and they will be shown by their deeds. In other words, what their heart is will come out in what they do. Particularly, I need to add this, particularly in worshiping him. So if someone's saved, how can you tell? Well, the Lord reveals how you can tell if someone's saved by contrasting how two seeds engage in life and worship. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. In Genesis 3.15, if you want to look up a few, few paragraphs up from where we are, it talks about how as God had given the curse to Satan, he continues to talk about how there will be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Enmity is mutual hostility, except the seed of the serpent is always going to strike first. And it's always always going to try to kill. And there'll be these two kinds of people. By the way, we're all born seed of the serpent, seed of, the, of Satan. Satan is our father. As Jesus told Jews in his day, you are of your father, the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. That's what we naturally are. But there is a seed of the woman. And Jesus is that ultimate seed of the woman. That it says there, as the offspring grow, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In one blow, when Jesus went on the cross, Satan nipped at his heel finally and he was done. 
He's all but done right now. So we saw this come to play in how they came to life. Cain's name is, has to do with pride, sort of like, I got this. Abel's name means weakness, wind, fleeting life. We saw that in how they came to worship, that Cain had no regard for the Lord. I just got some fruit here. Here you go. Not even the first fruits. And Abel had high regard for the Lord. I can't believe he would be this kind to me. I'm not only going to give him from my flock, I'm going to give him my firstborn. And I'm going to put the fat portions, the, the things that make the food taste good, I'm going to give that to the Lord too. He's just so happy and joyous that he gets to worship God because God is so kind and gracious to him. So now we come to these last two points. First of all, these two seeds come to blows. They, they come to life and, it, and how they come to life and pride and weakness comes, it comes to be shown in how they worship which the enmity comes out. We see Cain at the end of uh, verse five, it says he was very angry and his face had fell, fallen. And so we see them come to blows in attitude and action. First in attitude. We see in verses six and seven with Cain that the Lord here wants Cain to reflect on his anger. He slows Cain's down, Cain down because he wants Cain to come to his senses. God notes the signs. You see, God is doing for Cain what Cain should be doing for himself. When he begins to sense that anger building in him, the Puritans used to talk about catching the first motions of sin, being watchful over your heart, trying to catch those first motions and seeking the Lord's help. And so God points it out to Canaan and he says, gives him great counsel and advice. If you do well, verse seven, will you not be accepted? Now, the reason why Cain isn't doing well is because his heart's not right. That's the issue. Abel's heart was the same until God changed it by his grace. And if you do not do well, what's happening? Sin is crouching at your door. And we have two cats. We have this male cat, and he, he catches birds. All I've never seen a cat catch so many birds. He makes little bird calls with his throat somehow. And you know how they are. They get down, they get ready, and then they... <coughs> and that's what the Lord is saying here about sin and Cain. He says, its desire is for you, but you, you must rule over it. Well, I can't. But you could. Let's see how. So Cain spurns God's gracious correction. He wants to be rewarded for his appearance of godliness. He's got this deal with the Lord. Like, if I just do the thing, Lord, will you just make my life easy? I'll do, it for you. I'll do this for you. You do this for me. Cain needs a resurrection of the heart. And he despises the Lord for pointing this out. Despises him. Now, Abel, his attitude is mostly seen in relation to Cain's action. So let's look at that action. In verse 8, he, Cain spoke to Abel, and it notes his brother. I want you to put a little flag on that one. We don't know exactly what he said, but we're sure it's probably come out to the field. And so he takes advantage of Abel's weakness 
his attitude. Cain's his big brother. Sure, I'll follow you out to the field. Took advantage of Abel's trust. He says, and when they were in the field, why are they in the field? Far away from anybody seeing or hearing. And then what does it say next? Cain, much like sin that we just described, Cain rose up against his brother. He's sneaking up on him and killed him. The ultimate vulnerability. Cain looks so strong, doesn't he? And Abel looks so weak. And his life is so fleeting. So the Lord will save a people and condemn a people and they will be shown by their deeds, particularly in worshiping him. If someone is saved, how can you tell? The Lord reveals how you can tell if someone is saved by contrasting not only how the, these two seeds came to life in pride and weakness, it shows in how they come to worship, which brings out their enmity, showed in how they come to blows. That's exactly what God predicted in Genesis 3.15. Cain is the seed of the serpent here, and he strikes first and deadly. It's very revealing that they come to show who they really are in verses 9 through 15. Cain, well, he's strong, isn't he? But it's really weakness. It's really weakness. He thought he was strong till the Lord called him out in verse 9. This is like the first step in an investigation. Where's your brother? Where's your brother? Abel. Now God's going to say this phrase, your brother, three times in three verses. Verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. He already said it a couple of times there in verse 8. Cain thinks he's so strong that he lies directly to the Lord. Where's your brother? I don't know. No regard at all for the Lord. By the way, this is the human heart laid bare. I don't know anyone in here as mean as Cain is. I could say that with all due honesty. But I tell you, any one of us, if you don't agree with this, might not appreciate Jesus the way you should. This is our heart. This is all of us. Apart from God's restraining grace in our lives, apart from his saving grace. He's lying to the Lord. You know, I'll, have you ever lied to anyone? You can, how many lies have you told in your life? Would you, how could you be surprised that you would lie to the Lord or try to? Look at what it says about no regard in his heart for the Lord. Psalm 36, one, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. No fear. The one place you should have fear is before God. We went to the Creation Museum and we saw all these galaxies. As you travel out into space and the, the constellations change and there are billions of these and this this is the God who created all of this and uniquely put life on this planet. And Cain has no fear. 
And you and I, do we have fear? Because we need it. We need a good dose of the fear of the Lord in this culture. Cain thinks he's strong. He's got some bravado. He gets right in the Lord's face. Not only does he have no regard for the Lord, he has no regard for his brother Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? You're the Lord. You know where he is. That's the subtext. He has no fear of the Lord at all. And the Lord said to Cain, and you'll say this to every one of us, what have you done? He's got a record on each one of us. And not just the things we did behaviorally. Does our heart rise up to meet that standard? The way we were created, image bearers of God, male and female? What have you done, Cain? The Lord has no regard, I mean, Cain has no regard for the Lord and therefore the Lord has no regard for Cain. As we see, Cain was cursed in verse 11. You are cursed from the ground. Now remember, after Adam and Eve sinned, neither Adam nor Eve were cursed. The only one that was cursed was Satan, the Satan serpent. That's the only one that was cursed. When you are cursed by the Lord, that means you're done. As far as the Lord is concerned, you're done. You're, that's your ticket to hell. I'm gonna create a little more for you here on earth, Cain. So he turns Cain into a weak worker and wanderer. Look at verse 12, the first part of it. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you and you will be a fugitive on the earth. Cursed from the ground that was already cursed. And he's gonna be a wanderer, why? Well, they didn't have supermarkets back then. He had to grow his own food. So as hard as it was for Adam after sin and for all of us after sin, Cain is gonna to have to work 10 times as hard and it's gonna yield even less. That's why he's running all over the place. But look at Abel. Abel's weak, right? And there, he's also, in that weakness, he's strong. Like the Apostle Paul says, when I am weak, I am strong. Why? Well, look at his strength. Abel's weakness in death becomes his strength. The voice of his blood, the Lord says, it's the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Cain's, I mean, Abel's blood is crying out to the Lord and the Lord is giving voice to Abel. Look at Hebrews 11:4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was condemned, not condemned, excuse me, commended as righteous, God recommending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. We see in the end of verse 11, the ground opens its mouth to, re to receive Abel's blood. And, it and that ground is going to taunt Cain for the rest of his life. And how weak and pathetic is Cain? Look at verse 13. He's crying over his punishment. He can't deal with what he, what, that he's gotten caught. And he even gets God to kind of like, that word behold, it's like, really take a deep look, Lord. You have driven me. You have driven me away today from the ground. And you have hidden your face from me. So it's not my fault, it's yours. And get this one. And by the way, if anyone happens to find me, they'll kill me. 
Oh, isn't that ironic? He's worried about someone killing him. And there's Abel's strength, the wispy, airy one, the fleeting life one. He is, his strength is that he is the Lord's seed of the woman here. The Lord became Abel's voice. You kind of see a seesaw here going on. There's a setup that goes from Cain to Abel in verses one to the first part of verse two in birth. And then it goes to Abel to Cain in work at the end of verse two. And then in worship, it goes Cain to Abel offering. Then Abel to Cain, the regard of the Lord, in verses four, end of verse four to beginning of verse five. And then the Lord gives counsel to Abel graciously. And that shows his anger, Cain's anger, the end of verse five through verse seven. And then we have an investigation, a crime scene investigation. We have the murder, Cain to Abel in verse eight. And then the Lord takes up Abel's voice to Cain. And begins an investigation in the beginning of verse 9. Where are you? And then we have the trial. First we have Cain giving testimony to the Lord. I don't know where he is. End of verse 9. Am I my brother's keeper? Then the Lord, the Lord as Abel's voice to Cain at the, in verse 10. And then the judge finally comes down with the sentencing in Abel. Lord, taking up Abel's voice, sentences Cain to being cursed from the ground and wandering on the earth. And finally, the prison, the actual prison sentence. Cain leaving, you know, you see those guys walk out in, in cuffs and they're always blaming everybody else. They're not responsible. And then unless you think the Lord is trying to be extra kind to Cain and put a mark on him, that's just his prison uniform. It's an orderly system. No one's going to touch Cain. I'm taking care of the justice here. So what does this tell you? Abel's voice cries out for what? For justice. And the Lord is his advocate. That means going towards someone. If you break it down in the Latin, ad to or towards someone to be their voice. Like a lawyer. The Lord is Abel's voice of justice as, his, as Abel's blood cries from the ground. And it taunts Cain. And Cain doesn't have any fear of the Lord. Because if he did, there's only one place to go when you have that kind of fear and when you're in that big of trouble. And that's what? To throw yourself at the mercy of the court, at the mercy of the judge. And God loves to give mercy. He really does. John Newton caught it in Amazing Grace. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace what? My fear. That's the heart change that we need, isn't it? That's what will bring this kind of worship. Look, you have an advocate in Christ. Just glance over 1 John 2 there. And, those, and, the, and the resume of that lawyer is right here in Hebrews 12. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, and to Jesus, who is, all that stuff was pointing to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that means his blood, that speaks a better word than Abel. Why? Because Abel's blood is for justice. But guess what? Jesus took God's justice due us on himself. And so his better word is propitiation and resurrection. Romans 3.25, that God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It's a gift. Now, propitiation, what is that? 
He's absorbing the very wrath of God, the justice of God being sentenced and meted out. Jesus took it for you. That's the offer of the gospel. That you deserve that. So you can have that assurance. Now, you go, well, wait a minute. You know, sometimes I don't. I mean, telemarketers call us, you know, and they offer us these great things and commercials on TV. And how can I know for sure? Do I get a physical sign uh, to prove your love? Well, look at uh, Romans 4.25. That Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up for our trespasses and what? Raised, resurrected for our justification. That means you are now counted not guilty, forgiven, cleansed. You are holy in Christ. That's where you get this new heart. Now check your heart now. Do you feel love? Do you feel joy? If you do good, what do you want to do? 1 John 2, 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. None of us keeps it perfectly. But is that where your heart is directed? Think of Cain and Abel. And think of what Jesus has done for you in this resurrection that we particularly in, in our tradition celebrate today. But we do that every Sunday. That's why we worship on Sundays because, because of the resurrection. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, grant us the joy of our salvation that Jesus satisfied all the requirements to make us right with you. Please cause us to strive after the new man who longs to put on Christ and put off sin. Thank you that Jesus is a bleeding savior and sacrifice for us because we wouldn't, we would have had absolutely no hope of knowing you if he wasn't born to die and rise again in our place to prove by that sign that everything he did and that it was a sign of you, Father, God the Father's approval of what God the Son did as the God-man in his ministry here on earth. And so we thank you and praise you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.